Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is George Horvat, the COO of Agero, an industry leader in the digitization of driver assistance services on a massive scale. George is responsible for end-to-end operations of their closely intertwined network and contact center functions. George brings over 25 years of Fortune 500 experience as a results-driven executive in manufacturing, quality, and maintenance. His strong focus on collaboration, change, and innovation has produced exponential accomplishments and strategic planning, lean optimization, M&As, P&L, price cost management, and sales and marketing. His leadership skills are helping to drive Agero's continuing journey toward operational excellence, delivering more consistent, high-quality, end-to-end experiences for their consumers while building strong relationships with their service providers. So, George, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Well, thank you, Cameron. It's an honor and a privilege to be on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, so walk us through what you guys do in the driver assistance space. Just give us kind of more, uh, more groundwork around that. Sure. Um, you know, in Ajiro, I would sit there and say that we are a leader in the white label assistance for driver assistance services, which basically means roadside assistant, accident management, connected vehicle services, consumer sport affairs delivered through typically insurance policies or auto warranties and other programs. So, you know, some things that people may not know about it, Gerald, is, you know, we uh, we support over 115, 115 million vehicles across the U.S., covering 100% of the zip codes here in our country through a curated service provider network. Um, we support two-thirds of the new passenger vehicles sold out of uh, out on the road, as well as two thirds of the the top auto insurers that are out there, and uh, you know, I'll throw a I'll throw a number out there. You know, I think uh, 2019 we covered over 11 million roadside events and over a million accident uh, events. So wow. that's uh, that's pretty substantial when you know the the total market is probably right around you know 65 million roadside events a year yeah so do you partner with the oems so at the point of sale when you're buying a vehicle that they're signing up for your services or are you partnering with insurance companies how do you walk us through that model well obviously our client services team works with our clients in partnerships on where we can support uh in in various experiences for our clients some clients want uh, a full roadside package. Others have warranties that they've they've sold. Others are just looking for services that that they feel are required as part of the offering for for their consumers. So again, it really is customized to each and every one of those OEM or insurance or insurance companies, depending on what they're looking for for their brand and for their consumer. And then we reflect that brand to those consumers when they call. So are you operating as the call center and the intermediary between them, or are you actually actively running the service side of it for them as well? So we, we were doing both on, on roadside and, and uh, accidents. So again, a couple of years ago, as I've joined a Giro, you know, the, we were in reality a hundred percent call center company, you know, that we're slowly moving toward a, a digital footprint. 
at the same point, we're providing those services through partnered contracts, partners, our, our service provider contractors, who are out there every day on the road being those heroes and uh, servicing for those different OEMs and insurance companies. And would you would, would your competitor be AAA? Would that be one of, or do you do, do you do work with them at all? I would sit there and say AAA is not a uh, competitor. They're an insurance company. We are not an insurance company, and there's the big differential. Um, we are a independent white label provider that provides those services to insurance companies. So in some cases we, you could say there's adjacencies that could put us into a model to where we are an insurance company, but realistically, I'm not sure insurance companies are allowed to make a, 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 a profit. Right. Gotcha. And then do you work with, um, with the auto body industry at all? Like, do you refer clients to them? Or is that going through the insurance companies? We, we do go through our, our insurance companies on, on their accident-based program. So again, over a million uh, events service for accident on an annual basis. But we, we are working in partnership with a curated dealer network and a curated repair network to where we would take those based on whether it's an insurance company or an OEM uh, maker on where they would like those vehicles serviced. Interesting. Yeah, I was one of the co-founders of a group that in the U.S. is called Gerber Auto Collision. In, in Canada, it was called Boyd Auto Body. But um, we, we did a lot of work with the insurance industry. I'm curious whether all of a sudden I'm going, wow, you guys have got your hands on every accident before they even know. Can we talk? But I, I left there 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I was going to say we've got a great partner. I'm sure if, if you're up in, in the Canadian market, um, Sykes. Um, does a, a large portion of our, our work up in Canada as well. So you okay. might be familiar with them. Well, yeah, Gerber, Gerber Auto Collision was the brand in the U.S. and then Boyd Auto Body was the brand up in Canada. So tell me about, about the business and, and how, did, how did, did you decide to join them and what were you doing before this? Um, before this, I had, uh, I had been working for two e-commerce companies. I had done some work for Wayfair. Um, I had stood up a, a portion of their large, uh, <laughs> their large parcel home delivery uh, network across North America. And before then, I was with Vistaprint um, business cards. So not necessarily roadside, not necessarily um, related to the automotive sector, so um, I literally had reached out to a colleague that I had worked with back in Vistaprint to do some benchmarking in call centers. I had heard a girl had a relatively large call center footprint and wanted to do some benchmarking and uh, had some dinner with him. He runs, he's the head of our, uh, our, our he's our CDO, Chief Digital Officer, Bernie Gracie, and uh, had dinner with him and was talking to him about how we were how we were at the time standing up call centers in, in Wayfair and wanted to benchmark on different KPIs and, you know, general best practices and do some, do some cross line, uh, cross line actioning. And uh, he mentioned that, you know, they were just so happened to be looking for a, a, a COO at Ajiro. And he had recommended that I talk to, to Dave Farrick, the CEO of Ajiro. And I was, I, I really was not even, out in the market looking, I, I was like, look, I just really want to get into your call centers. Long story short, I, you know, to get into the call centers, I had to go through Dave, uh, our CEO, and Dave and I went and had breakfast in Somerville. And uh, 
that that conversation was about two and a half hours of of him explaining to me what a Jira does and that hero culture of how at a Jira when you know when one of those consumers that gets stuck on the side of the road breaks down you know their day really gets ruined right and and that's that's the the mentality that that our agents in the call center have is when that phone rings and they pick it up they're somebody's hero so you know if i'm driving down the road and my car breaks down with a flat or whatever i call my day's gone completely bad the person i'm reaching out to is a hero to me because they're going to help me get my day back on and how that industry is undergoing such a transformation these days uh, to where we used to be 100% just agent, call center, call center concentric, to now we're shifting into a more digital footprint. Um, those two hours went by just amazingly fast. And uh, he, 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 you know, poked and prodded at me as to, you know, how do I operate? What's my basic philosophy on, on managing people? And in general, wanting to understand some of my management philosophy, and uh, you know, obviously that that melded out well. And long long story short, was able to join a join a fabulous organization here at Ajiro. And how many how many employees have you got? Just so that we understand some of the scope of what you're dealing with right now, it's going to be massive. Um, so employees directly, I would say, in operations were were around the thirty two to thirty five hundred mark, depending on seasonality. Um, overall with partners who are, again, are independent contractors and service providers and third parties, we're, we're well over seven to 10,000. Okay. Uh, so on the call center side or on the hero side, I love this whole hero analogy because for the last two and a half days, I've spent about eight hours on the phone with Verizon and Apple and an insurance company. My girlfriend's traveling in Colombia and had her calls or her phone snatched out of her hand by a guy on a motorbike driving by. And I'll tell you, they, the customer service agents I've been working with do not feel like my heroes. Or I, I, It's super frustrating. And, and how do your agents deal with the frustrated customer who hasn't made the transition to feeling comforted yet? You know, they're still pissed off or stressed or frustrated or it's raining while their car's broken down. Well, I would sit there and say that, you know, the, the, the first thing that... Uh, you know, we teach our, our associates is how to react to to every call because again, it's much like that that Forrest Gump movie. Uh, you know, he he uh, he sits there in Forrest Gump and opens up that box and it's a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get when you pick up that phone call. Sometimes you get that sweet call, and other times you get that one that just is hard to do. So you have to be able to respond with empathy. Um, and, and be attentive and, and listen to how mm. you're going to put that service, that conformance, and think about, put yourself in that person's position and how you want to be treated. And that, in as an essence, is what, you know, we want our agents to do for, for those consumers on stuck on the side of the road. Because whether you're with an insurance company or whether you're with an OEM, it, it, we're reflecting that organization brand as that white label but we also want those people to know that, you know, in some cases, you're, you're in a very dangerous situation on the side of the road. We've got to, you know, call emergency services. In other cases, it's, you know, how do we make sure that we minimize the wait time? So there's so many different factors that we have them trying to key in and trigger on based on, you know, what they are hearing. So, again, try and listen twice as much as they yeah. talk so that we can get that that empathy and that 
that that hero piece across to those people so that there's that connection that they know they're being taken care of and listened to. You're also dealing with a group. We at one eight hundred got junk. We had about one hundred and forty people in our call center. So much smaller operation, but still big enough that I was around it. And it's a tough role to get people who are super passionate about the customer and the company because they're, in a lot of cases, doing minimum wage jobs. How do you how do you make that connection for them and, and treat them with more than, or do you pay them more than a minimum wage and treat them as better than that? Well, uh, I would sit there and say yes and yes. We do pay more than minimum wage. Um, and again, I, I would like to believe that we are competitive in the markets that we are in and, and have shown by benchmarking we are. Um, but again, we're not asking people in, in your example with, with the film that was stolen with Verizon, we're not, we're not trying to sell somebody a service. They've already got the service. We're trying to literally help them. So most people really like that feeling of being able to be that hero, being that person that, you know, when George's when George has got a flat tire and is on the side of the road and is, is scared because there's a bunch of traffic and, you know, people are whizzing by them and somebody's on that phone and just very calmly talking to them, reassuring them that helps on the way. It, it, there's a self-satisfaction that goes with it. That's just sure. Awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. So you mentioned that you're talking with the CEO about your management philosophies or your management kind of style related to people. Can you walk us through some of that? Sure. So again, a lot of that comes back from, from my time, even prior to, to Vistaprint. It's, it started with uh, about 13, 14 years with, with a Toyota-based company. And it, and it really ties to people. It really ties to people, process, and technology. But, but you know, as the head of operations, you've got to really listen closely to what people are talking about. You've got to be able to, you know, um, continuously learn and adapt you know, when I first started the role, as I explained to Dave, he goes, tell me what your first hundred days was. That was like one of the questions he asked at that breakfast meeting. And I said, well, my, my first hundred days would literally be just, I want to listen to your calls. I want to go to your call centers. I want to, I want to hear what it's like for a, a customer or a consumer on the side of the road to call in. And how are they, how are they being received? What are they actually, what are they hearing what are we, where are the opportunities? And, and I said, based on that, that ground swell coming from my Toyota background of you want, you, they know where the, the loopholes are in the systems, in the processes and in the technology. So again, listening to agents, listening and talking to them, you're able to pick up a, a huge wealth of knowledge. And then what you do is you start feeding that, right? You feed that into either the ops group with, with operations, or, or B, you start to feed that to your product and innovation group, or you feed that to your engineering and your digital group, and you're able to start to iterate, right? You're, you're yeah. continuously adapting. And, um, you know, one of the fundamental principles in, in you know, my, my education through Toyota was, you know, you're always looking for a target vision. You want to understand what you want in the long term, but you don't get there in one giant step. It's not a light switch, you have to take many, many small steps. And, and sometimes you're going to fail, right? You know, you're going to try. You're going to try something and it doesn't work. Well, that's just the first attempt at learning, right? That, that literally is that. You have to be resilient and go back and go understand why did you fail? And then ask yourself why a few more times to get to that root cause and then experiment again and be willing to experiment again and take calculated risks to be able to do that. 
And uh, through that explanation to Dave, um, that, that really resonated because we are a company very much founded on manager doers and using data as a thermostat to then set up different types of experiments and then continuously iterate around. And whether that's through our, our, our engineering group and, and through our digital channel, or whether that's through our network and with our service providers and testing out different software, or whether that's through our strategy group of, hey, we wanna, we wanna differentiate into specialty networks and different types of differentiated services. It gives us an opportunity to test, try, iterate around and be able to find a fundamental solution that really um, helps the consumer on the side of the road, gives a better experience to our customer, and you know, ultimately it makes, makes us a more competitive and differentiated service for, mm. for an organization. How, how have you had to adapt as an organization now because of where we are with COVID? And that's got to have been complicated. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, I would sit there and say that COVID is, is been quite the, you know, quite the pandemic is, is, is one way to look at it. It's, it's definitely had its negative impacts, but it's also had its opportunities, right? We, about a year prior to this, we, we had, uh, there, there was some severe storms that came through the U S and, we realized because of our geographic locations that we had some service implications um, because people just couldn't come to work because of, of storms. So we had started, and again, uh, started in a small crawl, walk, run approach of let's, let's disperse 20 laptops um, a year prior to COVID hitting two agents at home and just see how we can get this to work and, and work with our IT group to lay groundwork on the needs uh, for security, for content, for access. Wow. And, and literally we grew that to maybe 200 people in the course of a year. Prior and to COVID. Prior to COVID. So again, it was, it was really just disaster recovery in case of a storm. And then all of a sudden, you know, in mid-March, you know, COVID hit, the pandemic hit, and uh, our, our IT team, our operations team, you know, along with, with human resources, we were able to take our, our, our entire agent pool and, and in a matter of a week, flip them all from in, in, in contact centers to at home and functioning in, 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 in literally five business days, seven calendar days, everybody transitioned and our service levels didn't see a hiccup one during that period of time. And have and you, it, have you challenged your team since to do similar things just as fast? It's like, why was this taking us a year to do 200 and then it takes us a week to do 2000? Like there's got it. Like, <laughs> so I would sit there and say that any, anybody, um, when faced with a pandemic, when faced with the sheer risk of their people getting sick and, and just the sheer focus of the wellness of our associates is what drove us with sure. that level of intensity and speed. But again, sometimes I would say that we absolutely uh, continue to ask ourselves questions. <clears throat> How did we do it before Zoom, just like this call? How did we do it before Office 360? How did we do it before when we said we couldn't go virtual and everybody had to travel 
And uh, <clears throat> as we've done that, you know, this, this, this whole pandemic has really opened up a lot of new opportunities for us as far as, you know, hard trends, soft trends, what we could look to do, what our, our company-wide remote workforce launch really looks like now post-COVID as we start to anticipate with vaccinations and the rest and, and how we can look to advance, you know, we, we talk about work from home, talk about digital as well. I mean, our digital services increase because again, people are out, people aren't in their offices, they're, they're using their mobile phones asking for service as well. So again, things that we're taking slow crawl steps are now running faster. You see it in e-commerce, you see it in, in, totally. in shopping at Instacart, you know, people are buying groceries online. Well, they're doing the same thing with roadside. They're doing the same thing when they get into an accident. And, uh, you know, it's about us being able to anticipate and stay ahead of that and recognize those trends for, for our clients and get out in front with radical change so that we can be there for them. Yeah, I remember back in the got junk days, this was 2002, we decided to try to move 30% of our business to book online instead of having to talk to a customer. And um, that was done. But I'm curious now, are you looking at the similar kind of, of moves now in your business to, to, I guess, eradicate the customer service, the human and, and automate and, and digitize the business? Well, I, you know, and again, over the past couple of years, you know, Ajiro has been a forefront of, of, of a combination of passionate people and data-driven technology, strengthening that, that, that relationship with our clients and with their customers through digital tooling, such as, you know, IVRs through, you know, um, different types of automation. Sure. And we've seen through mobile apps and through IVR that the customer experience is actually a better customer experience than just a traditional phone call. So again, working through that, we've been able to highlight that particular gap to our to our clients and go, hey, look, if if we can push penetration in our mobile usage with you on your app, you get a better customer experience for your label, you know, for your brand, which again, we all want. We want we want to be that helpful partner for them. But you know, like you know, any type of digital transformation is very much a journey. It it it, it takes time. You have to work through the, the different platform um, development. I mean, we were lucky, we were able to very strategically go out and, uh, and put an acquisition in our place with with Swoop. Um, Back in, in 2019, which had an amazing platform that we are we are using and exposing to our clients. What's Swoop? And Swoop is our uh, is, is the platform that we run our business on. So all of the we are we are currently in the middle of our digital trans transformation, and it's our software okay. that is running through our our platform. So do you think that you'll be able to replace, you know, 30 to 50% of your, of the people with automation and technology over time? And just even through normal attrition, I'm not saying you're going to go out there and fire everybody, but like, is that kind of the numbers you're looking at? Or is it more than that? I, I would sit there and say that in the, yes, it, those, it is those numbers and larger that we believe that we, we can leverage automation and digitization through, through those different channels to be able to um, look to offset um, some of that labor. And really, as you said, it's not about cutting out the labor. What I, I think about labor as, 
And I think about automation and our overall demand, much like a bell curve. Mm-hmm. If you take a bell curve, I want the automation right down the center of the path. Take that yeah. right down the, that first slice, everything that's in the fairway, if, if we put it in golf terms, right down the middle, everything should be automated that we can. The next slice I want to use with, with our partners or our third-party partners to be able to leverage some of that um, some of that usage and and the pieces that are out on the edges, the outliers, both both on, on both sides of that that curve, I want to leverage a Jiro's heroes uh, for those that are the most complex calls, those that have the most amount of complexity complaints, those that are brand damaging. I want to be that hero to make sure that we can keep those well in control and be able to continue to add value to our clients in the most uh, most effective way. I'll tell you, if anybody can ever figure out the automation where you, you know, you know, the customer's sitting there pecking away at the keyboard, like you can get them on a phone call quickly, you win because some of these automations can be super stressful. It's like, I really wish there was a human there at times. And then other times the automation works. I don't know how it's a delicate balance. Yeah. The, the mission is, you know, as I think about it, the mission is to push the limits of that roadside experience as far as we can without sacrificing the customer experience. And again, that's the exciting part of, of what we're doing at Ajiro is, is, again, I think we're on the leading edge of that and, and working with some of the partners that we have in both OEM and insurance side of things, it becomes really transformational um, across the dynamics of the business as we start to do that. You're operating in just Canada and the US or how many other countries are you operating in? Um, we have, we have most of North America covered. We are, um, currently investigating partners over in Europe as well, and, uh, have a footprint just getting started up over there and then down in Central America as well. Mm, interesting. Europe will be interesting when all of a sudden you got the multi-language call centers with the agents that speak seven languages, right? It's amazing. Um, be- go ahead. I said, it'll just be fun. Yeah. Do you intend to take the call center back to a location-based business at some point, or do you think you're going to be able to stay remote? Any thoughts around that? So I, I, I think what we're learning about our work from home footprint um, is just that. We're learning. We're, we're learning way faster today and in the last nine months with COVID having everybody at home than we did in the last year when we only had 200 at home. I would sit there and say that we're probably going to land somewhere with a split. We will bring either our, our new new Ajiro heroes in for a period of time, get their level up, um, and then look to you know do a, a wean out of where they can go work from home based on performance. But I don't think we will fully return to sites um, the way we were pre-COVID whatsoever. I would say probably 40, 40 to 50% will still stay at home just based on the fact that they're performing as well or better yeah. from yeah. And, and for, for many, it's just given them a bit of a satisfaction. Now they don't have to get up in the morning. They don't have to dress up. They can, it's kind of the, the business mullet where they can have business on top and party down below. Right. The... It comes to outcomes, right? We have to be able to stick to those outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. As long as they can deliver the, the customer experience that we're looking for, that is what, what is key. And again, if they sit there in their pajamas with a cup of coffee and can do that, I'm all for it. Go for it. Yeah. Tell me about how you identify the top performers and which ones I would imagine that you have because the scope, you must have a lot of promotion from within for a few levels. How do you identify which people to promote? So, um, or, or again, do you? 
No, no, absolutely. We are a very data and again, data driven organization. So every every team member has a associate number. That associate number tells us exactly from all their standard metrics of AHT to CSI to NPS to total number of calls per day to all of the key metrics that you would want. And, and based on that, it, it becomes just a, a very simple ranking of how they perform, how that team performs, how that supervisor performs, how that management group performs that manages those, you know, seven to 10 supervisors and, and so on. So that, uh, that career growth goes on where, again, we, uh, I would say that we are internally hiring 60 to 75%. Um, in career growth progression, what do you look for? What are the what are the behavioral traits you find? Is it is it the, the performance metrics or is there leadership traits you look for in people? What do you? It depends on level, right? I I think you have to you have to each each level comes with a different set of of criteria that you have to build on. Um, you know, when I think about a supervisor, that's that's got to be somebody that understands our mission, what we're trying to do for our customer experience, what, what, what are some of the different outliers that they have to manage, and then how well can they handle and manage people that are either new or in stress or struggling with the, the mission piece. And again, people is the key. It's, it's how do we get them to, you know, your first question to me is how do I get them to engage? How do I make sure that they buy in? And again, that labor force, that frontline agent, you know, the hook that I believe we have is, is that you're going to feel better after you may work in a stressful environment, but you're going to feel better because you're going to leave work knowing you help somebody today. Yeah. It's interesting. You go back to it so often with the Sajiro's heroes that it's a really amazing mindset that you're giving those agents that, that, that really is so different from, um, from just a customer service agent or anything else, right. Or handling a problem, right. It's when you're showing up as somebody's hero, that's huge. Thinking about the um, the interpersonal stuff, I mean, you guys are a company with, as you mentioned, 3,500 call center and then or frontline and then about 8,000 total. How do you deal with the company politics that tend to, to kind of start up in companies when you get to the 300 person level? You guys are clearly there already. How do you orbit around that stuff or how do you break through that? No, that's a great question. Um, I think it, it really starts with our founders and, you know, they, they empower all of us, including, you know, our CEO and, 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 and us on down to act like owners. I mean, we really take personal pride in the difference we can make for our customers, you know, for our clients and those consumers that are out on the side of the road and, you know, whatever it takes to make that biggest impact. So you talk about politics and, and the rest of that, you know, what's been really cool about this company is, you know, we, we work for this large corporation, right? But, but it started out as as small as any other business in 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 Sid's you know back back room of his home, and you know just like most small businesses owners do, they do whatever it takes to keep yeah. things running. And I, you know, coming in. I was I was very cognizant of the culture and what was going on, but it's it's whatever it takes from anyone to to keep the business running, to do the right thing for our client, to is happy to step outside of their role and pitch in for the greater good, you know, of our customers, our suppliers, our team, our service providers, 
and 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 really have that clear purpose of what we're trying to do, um, and really just take that ownership. It, it's it's amazing to see. What was it that he did at the very beginning? What was the service that he was providing early early stage? And then what do you think were the keys to the success to get it to? you know, to scale maybe from 30 to 100 people or 100 to 300 people? What do you think got it to, to start that inflection point? You know, I... <laughs> and what, yeah. was the orig- what was the original service for who? So the original service, I believe, went for um, Toyota back in 1972. It, you know, Toyota was entering into the market here in, in the United States. And you know, uh, Sid Wolk, our founder, um, saw an opportunity to where he could um, use a, a model to provide a, a roadside service for those new Toyotas coming out. And uh, that, was, that was the pioneering idea that really started the company. And, and, and it really became a, a game changer because the business model itself relied on the fact that people were going to call when they needed help. And, you know, he, uh, he, he, and, you know, started, it went from 30 to 300 and he still tells story and walks the office every day and tells us how, you know, I remember the first day we hit a hundred calls a day, you know, today we do 30,000 calls a day. Right. So it's incredible, right? Yeah, calls it's, it's incredible to hear the story of, yeah, we had a hundred calls a day. There was a table full of phones and they were hardline phones and people were picking them up and talking and, you know, um, but I, I think, you know, he set some really audacious goals of how do I grow that? How do I give everyone that peace of mind when they're out on the road? And, you know, he's kept a, a very fundamental um, approach of the best is yet to come. I mean, today, you know, we're, we're next, this, this coming year, 2021, we will, we will approach a 50 year anniversary for this company. And if you ask, yeah, if you ask him today, he'll sit there and say the best is still yet to come. And, uh, you know, thinking about where he's taking it from to this level is, is just amazing. Well, and Toyota back in those days was almost like a lawnmower company or a motorbike company. People weren't that comfortable with the cars in the first place and and to bet, but then they, they, they delivered, like they delivered beyond expectations. Do you think the, that he and the company learned from Toyota back in the early days? And if so, do you carry any of those systems still with you today? I, I think, I think we absolutely do. I mean, he still, you know, he still talks about, you know, ha- having high expectations and empowering people to, you know, do what's right for the the customers and and making sure that we make it right for the customers. And, you know, don't see, don't see our service providers as suppliers, but as partners, we're all one big team trying to make it, you know, make it through and, you know, just ultimately wants to do what's right for everyone. And uh, I think that when you, when you, and again, having worked in a Toyota background, a lot of those resonate right down to the Toyota core principles of, of what they try to think about with people. Interesting. How about yourself and your skills and your career? I mean, every, every day, this is the biggest thing you've ever run and every day it just gets bigger. Where, where are you working on your skills today still? Oh, I, uh, I think part of my, Part of my biggest challenge continues to be, you know, how do I how do I be proactive and see around corners enough? How do I, 
you know, nobody, you know, I, I sit there and joke of nobody could really see the pandemic coming, but you know, now that you've seen that hard trend or soft trend, what are you anticipating? What's your next opportunity? Where do, where do we need to be able to leverage and, and go forward? Um, and, and, you know, other part of it is being patient. Uh, I'm not a very patient person. You can ask my team, they'll sit there and say, you know, George holds the bar pretty high. And, and I push my team for not only speed, but execution and being able to deliver, but being patient to understand where people are at on the journey. And, and whether that's an agent that's frustrated that calls or whether that's a supervisor, a manager, or, or some of our leadership team being patient and, uh, you know, focused and being focused to, to execute on our, our CEO and, and, and strategy vision on where we want to be. And uh, that, you know, that, that gives me the biggest passion of all, because again, I, I get to, I get to sow the ground, I get to plant the seeds, I get to water it and I get to watch it grow because it uh, it's, it's really that place where, you know, the rubber hits the road for, for operations and a Jiro is to be able to take those concepts, those ideas on what we want to do and, make them real and make them really impactful for those consumers on the side of the road and our clients. Totally. How, how about your, as a, as an organization or your mindset around, you know, getting everything done? I mean, I, I was talking to a CEO the other day that I was coaching and he's like, I'm just going to work this weekend to, to catch up. I'm like, you'll never catch up. As soon as you catch up, you're going to have more projects and more goals. How do you, how did you rationalize? Cause I know you had to get there at some point. How did you rationalize that, that it'll never be done. So you just, you kind of put in a good solid day's work and then give yourself some time off. Well, I, I think that, uh, <laughs> or do you? I, I, uh, I, I will sit there and say that, uh, you know, uh, you know, in operations, D stands for deliver. So you never are really done. You, you know, I'm only as good as my last dispatch, my last service, my last call from a consumer. So we are a 24-7 operation. So it's it's there are times to unplug and, and there's more than capable people. But um, I think that the two pieces that we do f- really well is one maniacal follow-up. Um, in prioritization. We are a prioritization organization around trade-offs for people, process, and technology, and leveraging which one of those we're going to look to solve a problem for, and always weighting it on, is this a strategic priority? Is this, is there, is there a consumer or a client expectation or an outcome, or is this a, a, a customer experience, um, you know, trade-off or, or enhancement that we need to make, or is this a cost focus base? And then being able to prioritize those to go forward. And then the, the, the second I would think is, is, you know, it's, it's better to have things, something done than trying to do something perfectly. And, and knowing when done is done enough and not, not try and assume that you need to go and drive for perfection. Um, That's interesting. Those, those, are, those are key pieces for our organization. And it's a continual, continual process that we go through. Yeah, it's interesting. Years ago, I, I kept started hearing the term minimum viable product. And I said, you know, F that it's minimum viable everything. It's just, you know, momentum is going to create momentum, not perfection. Correct. All right. If we were to go back to the 21 year old George, and you were going to give yourself some advice, 21, 22 years old, what advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true now? Uh, what advice would I give myself? Um, yeah, be willing to say no and be financially disciplined. 
sometimes you just have to sometimes you just have to say no to certain things and i think there was a 21 year old george that always tried to make everybody happy and, mm. and times you know no means next opportunity not 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 anything else and uh i think that uh that would be the those would be the two messages that i would i would send 21 year old george they're big insights man i had to learn to say that one too it's a tough one george thank you so much for sharing with us today on the second command podcast george Horvat, the coo for ajira Pre- really appreciate the time today appreciate your time thank you again cameron and uh have a great day Hopefully I never need to, to talk to your agents on the phone, but if I do, I know I'll be taken care of. So I appreciate it. I'd love to hear your feedback. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.